it is great to see you. Uh, to my right is my lovely wife, Jana. Say hi, Jana. Isn't she pretty? I, exactly, I know. Um, so tonight, we want to share with you guys kind of our story of where we come from, uh, how we've gotten to where we are. Many of you are like, I don't know you, so I don't care. But there's going to be some points to some of this. So you may want to pay attention at least a little bit, or you've got that Facebook page pulled up. You can do your thing there too. So uh, before we get into that, I just want to take a couple of minutes. And I like doing this every morning. I get up. Uh, so I've got three kids. They are nine, six, and four, and they're all boys. And the, yeah, exactly. So they keep us on our toes, right? And so every morning, uh, I set my alarm, and she's like, how do you wake up that early in the morning? Uh, and I was like, just because if I don't, the day gets away from you, and you feel like you're reacting to your day as opposed to you setting the course of your day and you controlling your day. Anybody know what I mean by that? No? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm literally the only one. So what I like to do is get up and do that. And what I do is I like to spend, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes and I do this breathing exercise. And the first thing that I do is I take in about three breaths into my belly and I let it out. Then I take three more up to the, about the middle of my chest and then I let it out. And then I take three more all the way up to where I can feel it in my collarbone, right? So you've hit that peak, but it's like you can take in a little bit more air. And what that does is that opens you up and for the rest of your day, promise you, try this out you're gonna find yourself just naturally breathing deeply for your whole day. And it really comes in handy when people start to tick you off. I promise you, it's really good. So let's do that real quick. Let's just take three deep breaths in. Here we go. Just to the top here again. One more. All right, for these next three, let's go to about mid-chest, all right? Again. One more. Now let's take it all the way up to collarbone, okay? Here we go. Longer exhale, right? Let's try one more. Everybody close their eyes. Just think about your day. And I want us to think about all the things that we've been grateful for that have happened to us today. Maybe you've had a bad day. Maybe you've had a good day. Maybe it's just been kind of a normal day. But think about the things you're grateful for. And while you're doing that, take those deep breaths in. Breathe in the goodness of that day. Let it all out. God, we sit here and we're grateful for life, for our breath, 
which is a gift. We're thankful for a car to be able to drive here in and a dry place to be able to take refuge in. A loved one or a friend to confide in. We're grateful. For it's from this place of gratefulness do we go and give that gratefulness away to others. Amen. So tonight, what we say may not be true, but what we make up for in confidence, we'll bring it tonight, okay? So let me introduce you to a guy that maybe a lot of you may or may not know. He's a famous architect, and his name is Louis Kahn. Anybody know who Louis Kahn is? Famous architect. And Louis Kahn was an individual who created some spectacular buildings, not just here, because he's from, uh, from Pennsylvania, but he didn't just make great buildings here, he actually made great buildings all across the world. And one of the things, one of the buildings he made was actually called the Phillips Exeter Academy in New Hampshire. And this basic idea of this library was for users to pick up a book, go to the window, and to read from natural light. Isn't that cool? So he created this whole center of where all this light would come in from the top and spill downward. And the idea was that it would attract people towards the center there. The next one, it's a government building in Bangladesh. And this was considered his greatest and most demanding commission. Kind of looks like a uh, Marvel comic setting, doesn't it? Yeah. Ingenuity, creativity. Now here's what's cool about Louis Kahn. Every time he would start a project, he would always ask one question throughout the entire process of that project. And that question he constantly begged of it was, what does this want to be? So he'd get about a quarter of the way through the project and he, his creative juices are flowing and he would stop and ask himself, what does this building want to be? So he would draw a little bit more. He'd get halfway through and then three quarters of the way through. All the way through the process of developing these buildings, he would constantly ask the one question, what does this want to be? It was as if Louis Kahn had this idea that was floating out into this other world, and he somehow desperately wanted to take that idea and pull it down into reality and manifest it in the flesh for everybody to experience. So we'll come back to some of that in a little bit, but I just wanted to share a little bit about our story and just give you guys a little bit of background on um, where we came from and kind of what brought us to Grace Point, kind of how we ended up here on the stage, speaking to you guys, <laughs> how did all that come about? Um, so we both have kind of similar backgrounds, actually. We were both born into pastors' homes, so we're both preacher kids. So yes, we are both rebellious and terribly, I don't know what I was gonna say, I was gonna, I don't know. Something. We like to party. <laughs> that's a true story. <laughs> that's what all preachers kids are like, right? Um, so that's kind of our story. We were handed kind of a, uh, 
a map, if you will, by our parents of what they felt like was the best kind of roadmap for life. Um, we were, you know, at church eight days a week, kind of type thing, you know, all the time. Um, and we had a drug problem. Oh, Do you remember that? that we were drugged to church Sunday night, Monday night. Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday. <laughs> Sorry. I actually thought about that we were doing. You did, didn't you? <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> actually, did you know she didn't speak English for the first five years of her life? She was born in Montevideo, Uruguay. That's just a little bit of known information. Now, she doesn't know a lick of Spanish. It's kind of a bummer. But, yeah, my parents are missionaries. So, um, so we both grew up in pastor's home. We were both the babies. Um, I was a three, he was a four. Very typical baby children, typical preacher kids, that kind of thing, where our parents were just like, what do I do with this one? <laughs> uh, so we both kind of have those, those similar kind of things. And we, um, that led us both to go into ministry school um, after high school. And that's where we met. Uh, so we were both going to school to pursue this as a career, to be in ministry, to be a pastor, or whatever that looked like. And we started our first position in Cincinnati, Ohio, when we were just the ripe old age of, what, 21? That's right. 21. Cincinnati, Ohio. Try to go to Cincinnati. You're welcome, Bob. That's right. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's where we started our, um, our schooling. And we were, what, 20, I guess at that point, by the time we actually started, we were 22-year-olds in charge of, like, 10 or 12, 18-year-olds? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was terrible, okay? Like, just, that, that was just not, that was not a good, good concoction there. We didn't know what we were doing. We were trying to lead people, and we couldn't lead ourselves out of the paperback. So, going through all of this, and one very pivotal moment, how many of you guys have ever been on any sort of, like, missions trip where you go to, like, serve people or, like, give them your, yeah. So, one kind of pivotal moment for us was a few years into our marriage, we took uh, this group of kids that we were helping lead, and we went to Vancouver, Canada. And it was the first time, I think, for both of us where we saw Christianity in a whole different light. So we had kind of, I guess, been in a bubble a little bit and kind of just, everyone kind of just thought the same. Everyone kind of looked at things the same. Everyone had the same political views. And everyone thought the same about this or that. And it was the first time that we saw things, well, these people are Christians too, and they see things way different. And it, it just opened up our eyes to some, we kind of joked that it was like a rock through our stained glass window. It just shattered so many things of what we thought. So that was kind of our first, um, you know, uh, broadening our horizons. We started questioning a lot of stuff, kind of just going, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? Um, at, at the same time of going through all this, our marriage is not great. I would say we were probably, what, tolerating each other? Yeah. Yeah. We were just kind of like. Uh, totally. We're doing God's work, so I had yeah, to. It didn't matter. So, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it, it, you know, it, there was a lot going on inside of us, but we, we weren't really sharing that. We just didn't, we, we did not have, it, we didn't have intimacy, I would say. Yeah. It was really probably what it was. Um, so, through all of that, we um, it just started growing through a lot of stuff, and then we moved back to Chicago, and we planted a church. So, up until now, we'd just been on staff at churches, and we moved back to Chicago where Drew was from, and we were going to plant a church. So, we were going to be the you know, the big, the big dogs, or the leaders of the church, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I, we, were, we were 30 at that time. Yeah, we were 30. Um, and it, the church went great, um, growing. Uh, we were doing things in the community. We were having an impact there. Um, people's lives were being touched and changed and, you know, growing uh, financially. And, you know, uh, parishioners were coming and stuff like that. So things were going great on the outside, on the outside but things were kind of falling apart, like, between the two of us. 
um, miscarriages. In fact, we were just talking about this, and we we launched the church eight years ago this week this on weekend. Valentine's Day. And like I hadn't even like put that like thought together until we were doing this, which means we also had our uh, miscarriage that same week. So yeah. And that was our third or fourth third. Oh, I lost count. So, you know, we're, we're looking at planting this church, and of course, he's at the church day and night and getting all this stuff together, and I go through a miscarriage, like the week of it. Um, so, you know, me being the strong person I am, or I think I am, you know, you just kind of keep going, right? You just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and deal with it. Um, so, a lot of these kind of things going on, just a lot of vol- volatility to, between the two of us. All the while, when we're doing this great work that everyone is just so touched by, you know, um, so it was just a little bit of a, of a of a weird situation, more questioning going on. Whereas you're going, the things that I was handed, um, the map I was telling you about that our parents gave us, um, it wasn't working anymore. Like I couldn't find the legend, and the legend didn't make sense. And like this A plus B did not go here, and I was just like, we, we just didn't really know what to do. So. Through kind of all those situations, um, we we had a, a, obviously a lot of fighting and a lot of um, really um, not just fighting. I mean, it was it was holding babies in our hands and screaming and cursing at each other. And yeah, I mean, it, it was it, it was a really really dark places, really lonely places, and um, that's really when we I mean we would sit down and talk about divorce in a very rational like logistical like how do we make this happen with the kids kind of type thing. Like we weren't even crying or upset. It was just kind of what are we going to do here? Um, that's kind of the point where we're at. So um, we're, through all this, we kind of just decide, okay, let's give counseling a go. We had done counseling at different times, and so we were like, okay, this is kind of, you know, the last hurrah. So we did, and it was just kind of the moment. I, I don't know. I guess we were just ready to take responsibility rather than point fingers. I guess we were just both in that spot. And so it just was very, it was a very pivotal counseling for us and going through all of that and getting some help and some therapy that we really needed. Well, Drew kind of starts, he, he starts having these theological shifts going on. Um, he's reading, he's watching things, podcasts, or listening to podcasts, or watching videos. It starts having these theological shifts. And we go from, like, on our 10-year anniversary on this, like, yacht, on this dinner cruise in Lake Michigan and Chicago, looking at each other and literally not having anything to talk about. Like, it was like, so, it was oh, awkward. have you been doing the last 10 years? Totally. Some champagne now, like we just were like had nothing to talk about. Then we went a couple years later when all this is going on with him to just talking about everything, like everything just kind of is like, and just all starts coming out. So we had gone through all those shifts and stuff, and so many things being kind of just put back on the table. Like, okay, I've always thought that, and I've always been told that, but I don't, I don't know. What about what do you think? I'm like, well, this is what I think. So all these things kind of started morphing into all of this. And then we moved, all this was going on, we moved here to Nashville to plant a church. Because <laughs> that went so well in Chicago, you know, on the outside. Um, and honestly, I, there was something pulling us here. Like, I don't doubt that, but I just don't know if we, we didn't know anything else to do. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like, well, if I'm feeling pulled to Nashville, the only logical thing there is to do is to plant a church. Because that's all we know to do is pastor and minister to people. So it was just kind of that thing. And so um, we get here, and nothing goes as planned. Like, nothing. Um, <laughs> just every decision we made seemed to be the really worst decision possible. And it just was like cramming a square peg in a round hole. Has, everybody, has anybody ever been in that position? It's like, I can't do anything right right now. 
Like you look at everything and you try to make the best decision and you think about it and you pray about it and you sit on it and then it's just like, that was wrong. So all these things are going on, moving to Nashville. Drew's working at Starbucks. So he's getting up at like 3 a.m. in the morning, okay? And coming home, wiped, tired, and I'm like, hey, can you take care of the kids? Because I need some time for me now. And can you wash the dishes and do the laundry? And so he's got all these things he's going on and just exhausted. He's just completely exhausted. So in the midst of this church plant, nothing's going right. I look at him, and we're literally sitting in our in our dining room, and it was such a pivotal moment for us because he was, I don't even know what you were talking about. Well, and prior to that, I was having these, like, have you ever had these, um, it felt like panic attacks where your heart starts racing, and you wake up, like, out of a dead sleep, and it's as if your heart, like, you have been face-to-face with somebody going at them arguing, disagreeing, but you wake up and it's as if it had been going on for like an hour. And every night I was waking up at the same exact time. So it was at midnight, I would stay awake until two, go back to sleep for an hour, wake up at three to go to work at Starbucks. And this was happening probably four and five days a week uh, for about six months straight. So, but all of that was like, and, and you know those little things in your head that you're like, if you were to just stop doing that, this thing, your panic attacks would actually probably go away. But you're like, no, 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 no. You're doing something here, so keep on pressing forward, right? So as a male, as a man, I'm like, I'm doing something here, let's do it. And it's like, yeah, but you're killing yourself. So anyway, that's kind of a little bit of background of that piece. So we're sitting in our dining room, and um, I don't even know where the kids were. Who knows? Probably burning them out. (laughs) He just looks at me, and I I said, do you even believe in God? He just broke. I mean, he just broke. He started crying. And you guys, I can name on my one hand how many times I've seen him cry in our 17 years of marriage. And he just broke. And it was more than a cry. It was like a guttural response to something. It was almost like, no. And I think that's okay. And I'm okay saying it. And I just remember like, okay. Like, all right. Cool. Let's do this. Let's figure this out. Like, I'm here with you. Um, and there was nothing else we had known. And there just was nothing. There was, there was nothing else. It was almost like we were free falling and there was no bottom. Nothing. There's no stability. There's nothing to grab onto. There's nothing. You're just falling, 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 falling. And it was so scary, but yet so free. And I don't know how those two things go together, but some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So we're sitting there, and I'm like, okay, I don't think we should plant a church. You know, <laughs> probably not bad. So we kind of come to some conclusions with that, and we had a lot of other things going on. But I was seeing a change in him um, throughout this entire thing, not just after that one moment. I, I was seeing a guy come home from work. Um, he was just different. I, I don't know if, if any of you in a relationship have ever experienced your partner or your spouse um, changing the things they say, but it's like you kind of just know they're not, it's not a hard thing. Like it feels unnatural or it feels forced because they're just trying to make you happy. And that's what we had been for so long. And at this point, he was changing for himself. He was coming home being different for him. He was, he was looking at me as valuable and like my opinion as valuable and what I had to say as like valuable instead of, well, you're just being too direct and rude and that's not Christ-like. Because that's basically what our marriage was for about 10 years. I'm the direct one. He is the sensitive, the 
That's right. Well, and just to kind of get an example of how this went, so uh, patriarchal family, and I grew up where when my dad's glass was empty at the dinner table, rattle the glass, mom gets up, gets the drink, and pours it in his cup. So I'm like, that's how life goes, right? Well, the first month of our marriage, I was like, guess what? My glass is empty. I know what to do. I'm married to a Proverbs 31 woman. I know what she's going to do. Ding, 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 ding. Her head whipped around faster than I have ever seen anybody. I thought her head was going to pop off. That's how fast it whipped around. And she goes, don't you ever shake your glass at me again. I go, my bad. <laughs> my bad. So that's how this marriage is going to go. Got it. <laughs> okay. That's right. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of the, we were being told by some friends and some people that we respected that, um, well, you guys are just burnout. You know, you're, you're, you've just got a lot going on. You're starting this church. You've got these long hours. You've got these three kids. You're just burnout. This is not a good time to make an emotional decision. Have you, ever, have you ever been in those moments where you feel like it's more, where it's like, ah, yeah, I know I'm stressed. I know, I, I'm no, I know that. And I know it's not good to make emotional decisions in the midst of this, but I just, I feel like it's more than that. I feel like there's something else under the surface, and I feel like this is just a huge, like, warning sign. I feel like this is the universe telling me to stop whatever I'm doing and listen to what's going on right now. This is more than just being burnt out. And it was almost like these deep, dark places that we were going and going, can, is that okay? Like, can we say that? Can we do that? It was almost like, and we were being told, well, that's dangerous. Don't go there. Don't, don't read those books or don't do that. It was almost like... I don't just need to go there, I need to embrace that because I, I need to find freedom and I don't know if any of you have been to this in these moments, but you almost have to go darker to find some of that stuff in yourself because for me, the going dark was always just pushed aside. No, 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 dark is bad, dark is evil, dark is this, dark is that. And I got to the point that anything that made me feel dark was bad and so I pushed it aside and I didn't listen to it. Well, five out of the dang six emotions that you have are not fun. You've got joy, surprise, fear, contempt, sadness, and anger. Five of those are not really nicey-nicey emotions, but we're all, we're all met with those. So what do I do with that? Where do I go here? So for me, that, that was where I was at. And we just, for the two of us, and gratefully we were on the same page. A lot of times that doesn't happen, but we were on the same page. And we knew we had to go further in to find some stuff we were looking for because it wasn't where we were at. We knew that. So we were like, hey, let's give it a shot. You ready? Hold hands, let's leap and go. Yeah. So have we, as we experience these, what I call transformations over the course of our life, we experienced a lot of them. And as we started to think back over the course of all of these, um, we started to make some observations. And we started to go, ooh, interesting. Look at this. And these observations I would argue, are universal ones. So the things that we were going through, some guy in Bangladesh is going to experience a very similar reality. And some of those observations, we want to uh, share some of those with you. And even in the midst of all this change, and in the midst of all of this swirling about and falling without the bottom, like she said, and going from stability to instability, we had to figure out 
what this new frame of reference or this new starting point was going to be. All right, if we're leaving that behind, what does this new thing begin to look like? Now, one thing that we've listened to here over the last, since we've been here at least, this basis for progressive Christianity has taught us is that where you start matters. Where you begin totally matters. Because you can't just start and expect you to just end up somewhere you want to be without there being a particular starting point. Think about it. Genesis 1 and 2, if you start there, is drastically different than starting in Genesis chapter 3 with your theology, isn't it? Many of us in the room know that. We started, my theology I was handed started in Genesis chapter 3. You were sinful, you were depraved, you were terrible, and you needed to find a savior in order to heal that part of you that was terrible and that you never uh, want to ever talk about. Okay, That's a different starting point than Genesis 1 and 2 that says what? You don't have to be shy. What does it say? What's one word? Just give me the one word. Good. Good. Oh, this happened and it was... Oh, and this happened, and it was, and this happened, and it was, okay, I'm starting to see a pattern here. So why is it that I was handed that everything's bad? When, when I start in one and two, everything is good. So I started to figure out, oh, where I begin matters. And so as we start to look at the understanding of how this starts, it's important that we begin to understand that that is a key component. Now, question, and I need a little bit of feedback here, all right? So raising of the hands, I feel naked up here. So I need for you guys to, to talk back and uh, maybe do some nodding. Have you ever caught yourself or maybe observed someone trying to fix a problem? Okay, anybody been there before? Anybody uh, tried to listen to your partner and you're trying to not really listen, you're trying to do what? Fix. You're trying to fix the problem. And then your partner looks at you and goes, Drew, shut up. I don't need you to fix anything. I just need you to? But that is so boring. I want to fix something. I think they need an illustration. I don't think they quite. You don't think they're getting it? It's really not that common of a thing. <laughs> I think they probably need an illustration. All right, let's show them the illustration then. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is and I'm not sleeping very well at all, and all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, 
That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just don't. Try to see things my way. Do I, I see all of you nudging. Some of your partners have like some bruises right now from that nudge you're giving them. Yeah, there's always one in the relationship, right? <laughs> always wants to fix. Not me. So where we start matters. But if we were to peel that back maybe even one more layer, I bet you we could even get a little bit more even defined than that. Fixing versus creating. A starting point of fixing versus creating is absolutely, I would say, huge for us to understand because this is where the energy is. Yeah. Think about it. The energy you exert and the path forward that you exert with creating a solution versus fixing a problem are vastly different. When we're always having a problem we are trying to fix, we're almost in like um, reaction mode. When we have a solution that we wanna work towards creating, that's forward thinking, that's progressive. That's not looking back, that's looking forward. That's going, where can we go? How can we fix this? And I'm fix this. You know what I mean? I said fix, but I didn't mean to. Um, I mean, especially in, in social media this week, hugely, it, it seems like you can't find any two people that agree on the same problem. We all come from different starting points. So we all think the problem is something different. I think there's more than two of us that can probably agree on a solution of where we want this country to go and where we want, what we want for our children. We want a solution, we all want safety, but so many of us want to sit and talk about the problem and this and that and this, and it's really difficult. It's like nobody can ever get ahead, right? If any of you have been on social media this week, it's like, oh my word, nobody can agree on anything. So that's, that, that's the difference between those two things. It's the energy that you're exerting, it's the vibe you're giving out, it's the, it's the inertia that comes to what you're trying to, to solve that is so different than fixing the problem versus creating the solution. And this isn't about positive self-talk, right? This isn't just about putting a spin on something. This is something bigger than that. This isn't just even about a change in perspective. This is about living out of what you truly desire to be. Big difference. When you know who you want to be, you're creating the path forward. When you're constantly fixing, you're looking backwards and you're always trying to fix things. You're trying to make someone happy instead of looking forward and keeping your eyes. This is all about your motives. You see, when you're fixing, the motivation is fear. When you're fixing, the motivation is fear. Fear is crippling. When you're creating, the motivation is love, and love is empowering. When you're fixing, it's always about, well, if I don't get this, then this could happen. As opposed to, what could this thing be? Where could this thing go? How, could, how do I get to be a part of where this thing is heading? Yeah, so a few years ago, through all this thing that I was uh, discussing earlier, all these things we were going through about three years ago, um, I started focusing on my health. Um, and I got to a point that 
I had been trying to fix a problem for a really long time, and I felt very desperate and really hopeless in that and what my health looked like. Um, and I was overweight, yes, but it, it was also a lot of mental um, baggage that I was carrying of um, low self-esteem, uh, not feeling good enough as a mother, not feeling good enough as a wife, all those things where a lot of it stemmed from not just weight, but it was how I was taking care of myself, um, and I wasn't putting myself first. And I, through the help of a friend, I was able to go, okay, we're, we're done fixing a problem. This, this, is, this hasn't gotten me anywhere. I'm 35 and I'm still in this situation, in fact, worse off. What solution do we want to create? And when I was able to do that with my health, and I was able to overcome something that I had always felt so hopeless in, it almost opened up this world to me where I'm like, yeah, there was physical transformation, there was such mental transformation, and that when I, when I felt empowered to do that, when he said, and he said when you're creating a solution, it's empowering, when I got empowered, it was almost like the sky was the limit for me. I'm like, all right, I conquered that, and that's what so many people have such a struggle in, and I shoot. I did that, so what can I do now? And that, that gave me such confidence that then I was able to go, okay, that, that, that was what was a huge catapult in, in, our, in our family. Because at the time, we're raising these three little boys and we don't even know that there's a God. And they're like, can we pray before dinner? And all these things, and we're just sitting there going, I don't know, sure, and do what you wanna do. Everything just felt so clunky. So then when I was able to go, okay, we can create a solution from this, that's when we started looking at our family and started looking at our kids and going, where do we wanna go? What do we want our kids to be? What do we want them at 18 or 20 years old to walk out of the house saying, you know what, if anything, mom and dad taught me these things. Because there's so many, I mean, good Lord, you guys. I mean, we could sit here and talk for hours about what it takes to be a good parent, right? I mean, how many books are there? How many lessons are there? I mean, where does it end? It felt so overwhelming. And it's like, no, let's sit here and let's come together with the two of us and let's go, what do we want from our kids? Do I want them to be kind? Not really. That's really not a huge value for me. I don't, I mean, yeah, I guess at some point, but that's never been a word that's really stuck in my head. Now my mom would say that. That's a huge word for her. I want you to be kind. Um, so those kind of things, but what do we value? What do we think are important for our kids? What is, how does that matter? And so that, that helped us go kind of like that building. What does this want to become? What does this family want to be? Because these three kids are going to obviously play a huge part in that. And then, so the two questions we asked were, who are the Eppersons becoming, and why is that important to us? And as we sat down to talk about that, we came up with these four different ones, and those have been uh, pivotal for us. And so creating as opposed to fixing is a major, major starting point. Uh, the other reorienting point for us was we started to see life as dynamic as opposed to static. Now, we know through science that all of life is on this constant trajectory, right? We know that the universe is constantly expanding. And we see Genesis 1 and 2 again, that trees were made to make more trees, to make more trees, and to keep making more. Fish made more fish, and humans and more humans. This thing is just constantly making more. And see, we are all innately hardwired to create. But then that has the energy to what? And the capacity to always make more. But then that new version will be uniquely different from the previous one. Not a facsimile, but uniquely its own. And each subsequent version continues to be the unique expression. 
Yeah, so a few years ago when I was, uh, we were asking ourselves those questions of what do we really want to create in our family and what do we want our children to walk out, out with, we commissioned and um, paid for some artwork to be done. We wanted it put up in our home as kind of a constant reminder of what we were doing. And whenever things came up with the kids or whenever we were talking about something, whether it was as small as a schedule, you know, how much sports are we going to do or how many things are we going to put on our plate, a schedule, or whether it was something a little deeper than that, we were always able to look back at these values and go, okay, does that line up with these values that we have? Because these are what these are what's important to us and they're gonna be important to our kids. So that this was, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. So it's what the upper sins are becoming. The first thing is Jesus followers. And the reason why that's important is because every fa family's member's faith has to be their own. We're grace givers because freedom has to be expressed. We're risk takers. Remember what I told you about being the babies of the family and PKs? We're risk takers. Uh, playing it safe is risky, that's why that's important. And we're honest and clear communicators, where secrets live, intimacy dies. So a lot of that really started to, to, to change the way we started to talk to our kids and the way we were talking to us. And like, you know, that, that last one, honest and clear communicators, where secrets live, intimacy dies. Um, you know, there's some secrets you keep sometimes because you like, don't want to hurt people's feelings. So we had, to, we had to come to those kind of conversations with us and, and with our kids and being like, we just had one two days ago with one of our sons because he got a secret admirer from a girl at school and he doesn't want to tell her that he doesn't like her like her like that. And so we had to have this talk of like, do you ever think it's a good thing to tell the truth even if it hurts someone's feelings? Because he didn't know that. No, I don't think so. Well, we had to talk him through that. So all those things kind of line up to this. Like, hey, we're, we're honest and clear communicators. So we're always kind of, you know, reverting back to that. So that was eight, nine years ago, and our family has drastically changed since then. Uh, so relationships, family, experience have all changed, but we kept, this was interesting, we kept relying on the old belief system. And then we realized, oh, wait a minute, that's changed too. You see, what's interesting is that, uh, did you know that the steering wheel wasn't installed until 30 years after the car? Do you guys know what they used? Horse reins that would pull it back and forth, the steering wheel back and forth. That's what they use in the car. <laughs> I'd, I'd figure it out. But this is what's interesting. This is called skeomorphic design. Skeomorphic design is this. It means keeping a shadow of the former past in your new system, failing to see the new dimension and replicating the past. That's what, we, that's what they were doing. And how many of us, I mean, think about it in all the ways in which we do that. We take the old thing and we try to make it into this new thing. I've been doing a lot of study of this Bitcoin. Anybody know what Bitcoin is? This craze that's happening? I know you know, absolutely. But they talk about Bitcoin being this decentralizing of money is really the basic concept of it. But what's interesting and fascinating is even in the midst of decentralizing money, they're building centralized systems for you to decentralize your money. Well, it's because of this very thing. They tried to bring something of the old and make it in the new, but at some point, you just got to stop it, and it just can't keep going the way it's been going. And that's exactly what our family went through. Yeah, so um, the next picture is kind of our new version that we just had made a few months ago of what the upper sins are becoming. Um, and it's kind of funny to even look at the two. Um, so this, is, the left is the artwork. It's just a huge piece in our living room. And then the thing next to it, I'm not going to read all that. It's really wordy, guys. 
um, is what's underneath it. It's just like the, the artist did a plaque. Um, and so the four new values that we have are the Epperson's, our storytellers is the first one. Because our, our words create worlds. Words create worlds. <clears throat> and then the second one is still grace givers. Mm -hmm. And then we have risk takers. And then we have honest and clear communicators. And um, when Stan asked us if he ever asked us to speak again, we'll talk to you about why the one has changed from Jesus followers to storytellers and what all that's about. Um, it's so it's kind of funny looking at it because the other one, as you could tell, was just really like it was it was um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was all text, you know, like you could look at it and know exactly what 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 we think. This the other one takes a little bit more like it's more abstract, right? And so it's really cool to to read the whole thing and how she uh, took our four values and put it into a piece of art. Um, but we took some things from from the old values, and then some things were just completely recreated for what we want for our family. So that's kind of an example of how that dynamic versus static uh, has been for us and looking at that. So the big idea tonight, this is what we kind of want to drive home for you guys, is that through our story and experiences, there was this universal invitation asking us if we wanted to take a step towards transformation. It's like this constant thing. Because here's what I've learned is that transformation, there is no transformation without pain. There just isn't. There's no transformation without pain. Pain is inevitable and a part of this process that we all go through. So back to Louis Kahn, our famous architect. Remember that guy? He said, what does this building want to be? Well, that question got me thinking, what if every experience that we had, we asked that question of the experience? Let's say you got a job offer, and instead of it running through the filter of, will I make more money at this job? Will I be able to uh, get, climb up the corporate ladder with this job? What if you asked the question, what does this job want me to be? If you started with that question, I'm not saying those other questions aren't important. I'm just saying that first question, because remember where we start matters. That first question can lead you down a whole different trail. For those with kids, what if instead of saying, I'm going to do this, what if we started looking at him as, what do these kids want to be? And how do I kind of be a part of it? And where do I step in? And how do I guide? And how do I just let them be them? And for those with older kids, I, I need your wisdom. <laughs> like, what do these kids want to be? What does this want to, what does this relationship want to be? Because you see, life is happening for you, not to you. And when you understand that life is always happening, this universe is bringing you things for you to become something in particular, as opposed to you just got to follow the system and you're just going to be a cookie cutter or whatever this thing. Oh, see, that always happens to me. Always get in the longest line. Anybody say that? I always get in the slowest line on I-40 and, oh, looky there. Way to go, Nashville. Just ran through a big old pothole. It's like I'm driving through a rack over here. Right? It's like where we start matters. That's why we began this thing with our breathing and doing what? Gratitude. Because where we start matters. And when we ask ourselves the question, what does this want to be? That can lead us down a whole bunch of different ways that maybe we never have anticipated before.
See, I would argue that this question can fully do its work and bring transformation in us when we understand the dynamic nature of reality that our starting point is about creating and not fixing. You guys can bow your heads and we're going to go into a couple of songs here and let's just think about that for a minute. Where in your life have you found yourself creating or fixing as opposed to creating? Where has been your starting point? What has that looked like for you? You lead with gratitude? Do you you ever have those days where it's like, yeah, no, not happening today? Think about that question. What does this want me to be? And as you open yourself up to the reality of this dynamic nature, man, this stuff isn't happening to you guys. It's happening for you. And there's all sorts of creative, explosive energy waiting for you to tap into it so that you can partner with it and do all sorts of great, amazing things.